Welcome back to Comeback. This episode is with Trevor Kuha, initially from the States, currently living in Da Nang, Vietnam. So we're going to talk about mindfulness meditation, expat life, and see where we go. Trevor, welcome. How are you? I'm excellent, Connor. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. And just to, I suppose, give a background from the outset, whereabouts are you from and what was life like growing up? <laughs> All right. Well, originally I'm from California, up in the northern part, um, kind of remote, about um, four hours from the nearest city-ish in a place called Fort Bragg in Mendocino County. Okay, awesome. And I've never been, but I've heard some pretty good reports about the California area. How did you experience it, perhaps in your early years? Um it was a combination of absolutely gorgeous, where I started to take, you know, that sort of, sort of thing for granted and was surprised it just wasn't that beautiful everywhere in the world, um, but also a little bit isolated. Um, there was a lot I didn't know when I finally uh, emerged from the, uh, the North Coast and started to join the military and after go to college. Yeah, I see. And what made you want to go down the military route? Uh, first of all, it was uh, everybody in my family had done it, uh, going back a few generations. And um, so it seemed like the, the natural course of things. Uh, but also, uh, like I said, my town is, you know, 7,000 people in isolated Northern California. So uh, getting out of the town was of a primary importance at the, at the time I was 17 and signed up. Right, I see. And how long did that go on for then? You started at 17, when did you finish? Uh, so you, you sign up at 17, you go to boot camp when you're 18, then I was in for five years in the Navy. Right, okay. And during that period then, kind of the formative years, 17, 18 to 23, what are some of the key lessons you learn? I know that might be quite broad, but what sort of <laughs> things What sort of things have stuck with you from that period of time? Uh, war sucks. Um, and uh, life is precious. And um, you have the right, even in the military or even in those situations, to uh, always live your truth. You don't ever have to do uh, what you're told. Um, you need to do things for the reasons that you believe in, or it's very difficult to sleep at night later. Right, I see. And what was life like then once you returned to civilian life, when, whenever that was? How did you initially adapt to the transformation? Oh boy, um, it was an interesting one. Um, luckily, like I said, Northern California is really low key. And so that was a great kind of uh, area to recharge and kind of reassimilate. Um, went to junior college for six months. But the, I think the real transformative moment of me becoming a civilian or my own kind of civilian was uh, when I went to massage school. I went to like this 11 day intensive up in the hills above Napa Valley and uh, it was, it was, you know, very, in, uh, it was a very intense and, and emotional experience surrounded by a lot of people that cared for you. Um, and so it was like that perfect place to have my own personal, you know, come to myself moment, um, again, surrounded by people who cared for me, you know? Yeah, for sure. Two things that we are going to touch upon your work and mindfulness meditation, but how was it perhaps getting out of that military environment, because I'm going to make an assumption that uh, the kind of, I'm trying to think of the correct word, perhaps slightly spiritual, slightly 
esoteric nature wasn't evident in the military days, which no. perhaps is in America, uh, sorry, in where you were afterwards. Would you say that's correct? And how did you, I guess, adapt again? Um, so like my current level of mindfulness spirituality path is, is not, was not evident back then. Um, but the, uh, definitely the groundwork for those things, um, you know, surprisingly enough, I mean, this is the, we're talking 23 years ago now. Um, so yeah, that was a while back, <laughs> but like things like books that I would have on my bookshelf that I never read back then suddenly like appeared in my life again, 20 years later at the time that I had supposed to read them. So, and, and, and thoughts and ideas that I had been introduced to back then in the, you know, that more Northern California spirituality, mindfulness community. Um, some of that stuff, you know, exposed me to ideas, but I didn't truly understand them until I was like 45. Right, I see. And how did you go from, I guess, trying to get your head around it to actually understanding? If I may ask you, was there a moment where you realized, oh, this stuff now suddenly has hit me? How did it work for you? Uh, yeah, there was a moment of assimilation, I guess, and understanding. There was, there was a couple. Um, the first was I, uh, just before kind of having my own spiritual awakening, I was really depressed, um, working jobs I didn't like in ways that I didn't want to work and, and, and just really not finding any pleasure in life whatsoever. Um, and this feeling very suicidal back then. And so I was at the bottom of this, you know, emotional black well, you know, black hole as it were. Um, and I could hear stuff that was going on, but it never really, you know, the light never really got in. Um, and, and one day I just kind of had to ask myself, you know, am I gonna finish the suicide idea or am I gonna just fucking grow up and, and, and find my way out of, depression, you know, put my big boy pants on and, and finally get on with life, um, which I did. And that kind of intention gave me the, the path out of that hole. It wasn't, you know, like all of a sudden I'm, I'm you know, light has come, but it was, oh, okay, well, it, I'm going to, I'm going to find a way out of this. And, and when you start down an intentional path like that, and you keep your eyes open and your mind open, usually the things, the ways out and the ways forward along that path will present themselves to you. Uh, and they did, um, culminating in, in a moment where I, I had to find, uh, I had to change resentment to gratitude for a, a very sensitive topic and a very pertinent one in my life at the time, as, as well as that same sort of forgiveness and gratitude um, over resentment for a loss that I had suffered when I was three years old in my family when my brother had died. And, uh, and so there was a lot of grief that hadn't been processed at that time. And that, that lifetime worth of, of my brother's grief and the survivor guilt that came with that um, because we were in the plane together when, when we crashed. Um, another story. <laughs> but um, 
it was that and and this moment of resentment to gratitude to forgiveness that I had for my old boss at the time that that I was like laying a lot of my misery on but it wasn't his fault that you know um I didn't realize that when I was suffering but once I did it was just a, a matter of perspective I guess to switch resentment to gratitude and say okay hey thanks for getting me to this point where I could forgive myself and you at the same time and wow am I a different person now because I'm so much lighter yeah absolutely if there's anyone who is perhaps harboring resentment and probably does need to switch to gratitude what sort of tips would you give them in making that mindset shift because I'm aware it can be very difficult from my own experiences what would you suggest um, there, there's a, there's a couple of great meditations on it. And I find that, that looking at it from the perspective or from that kind of mindset of that meditative space will, will help distance you from the emotional triggers that those thoughts, um, would normally provoke, which is why it's so hard to process that because you can't think hateful thoughts and think forgiveness thoughts at the same time very easily. And, um, in that meditative space, if you go in and you, you give, you make space, just you, you kind of allow possibility and, and you set forth this kind of positive intention of finding forgiveness, then in that space, ideas will arise and intuitions will happen. And a connection to you and your higher self will be made that'll kind of give you that perspective from on high, a higher perspective that, that says, you know, that thing you have is, is so small compared to love. Or it is that that pain you're holding on to is such a petty thing when compared to the joy that you're allowing to walk by right now. You know, uh, I, I would say, and a good analogy is when you uh you're like fighting over a dollar and in the entire time you're fighting over the dollar you miss like an opportunity to make a hundred dollars because you were like dog with a bone on that one thing right mm -hmm. and so it felt to me like i was taking this injury and i was placing all this anger towards this hurt that i felt and I was assigning blame to the other party, right? And, and that gave me permission to be resentful. But when I personally turned it from this perspective of, okay, I'm feeling this resentment, but this also hurts me because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm hating and hating just feels bad, you know? And it, it, it said, okay, in what way did this help you? In what way was this, this keenly beneficial to your life? And for me, it was that it had caused me enough suffering to bring me to the point where I actually did something about it. And that was the key for me to, 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 to be grateful for them that, uh, that they had made my, that, sorry, that I had viewed them as making my life so bad. In reality, I was just feeling suffering, but it didn't have to do with them. 
I was just assigning the cause of my feelings to them, right? And so he, here I am hating on them. And then I realized, you know, if it hadn't been for them, I wouldn't have been depressed. If I wouldn't have been depressed, I wouldn't have tried to figure out a way out. And if I hadn't tried to figure out a way out, I wouldn't be here right now feeling love and forgiveness from my past, you know, my brother who'd been passed on now 40 some years. And at the same time, feeling just totally in love with life and, and not feeling like I could hate anyone in the moment, really. Yeah, no, I see. And that, it links to a theme that I advocate as often as possible on this show, which is taking personal control where you've recognized sure. that you're sure. really in control of your reactions. And if you harbor this resentment, it might feel, I don't know, gratifying or it might feel justified, but it doesn't actually get you anywhere once you realize right. that you can take control of how you feel and have that responsibility. That's when the systems change. So I really like what you've right. done there, Trevor. Yeah, so I kind of made that my personal story, but to, to, to go back to your question on general advice, I would say that practice meditations on compassion, gratitude, and forgiveness, and just do them often. And, and eventually, over time, your resistance will soften. And eventually, over time, the space will be created that allows for possibility. And in that space, all possibility is possible. And then it's for you to choose the, the ideas that you have, the ideas that you consume, it chooses you to choose the actions that make you happy. And you choose happiness by what you think about what you do with your life. And that's the key. Yeah. But to get there, it just takes time and practice. For sure. And do you have any meditations that are available for consumption that really resonate with you? For example, maybe Dr. Joe Dispenza or Eckhart Tolle? Oh, yeah. Dr. Dr. Joe and Eckhart Tolle are absolute, like, perfect for anybody. Um, wonderful uh, mentors to me uh, through their podcasts and through their, um, their recorded works. Um, I, I find that I like Tara Brock uh, mm, okay. when it comes to um, compassion. I like um, from Mind Valley, there's a one called the six phase meditation. And I find that one to be one of the best morning meditations, period. It's uh, the six phases are great. It's compassion, gratitude, forgiveness. And then it's all about abundance and imagining your ideal day and, and really setting yourself up with all this momentum that just gets you through the day the way that you wanted to get it done. Yeah, excellent. And what would your what would your routine then look like, Trevor? Your mindfulness routine? What happens on a daily basis? Can you talk me sure. through? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I wake up about 5:30 or 6. Um, and then first thing is, you know. Your, your morning you know duties and then I go into uh, another room that I have set up specially specifically for the the purpose of meditation and exercise and um, and I I do some stretching just to finish the waking up process really um, the first thing I go to is five to ten minutes in my gratitude journal I, I just have a book with blank pages, they're lined, and I just start out with the cue, 
good morning universe, it is great to be alive today. And then I put five minutes on the clock, which I usually measure by a, um, a song that I like that has about the right timing. And, and then I just start writing, I'm, I'm grateful for. And then I just let that flow. I let that flow and I let those thoughts of gratitude and, and relief and happiness and acknowledgement of uh, where I am and the things that I have that are great in my life. And I just let that flow. And I let that flow and I try to get as, and, and I try to capture everything. You know, if I, if I start on, on food, I'm like, and I thank everybody in that, the processing process and the logistics process, the growing process, you know, the earth itself and everybody who kept the earth clean up until this point so that we could have that, you know, and all of those things. And it really kind of tries to connect me back in with um, what I have. Uh, and then after that, it's uh, five minutes of affirmations. Um, and, and that to me is just the same, same journal, just continuing to write. My name is Trevor Kuhar and I am. And then I write down statements of where I want to be in my ideal. The things that I want to do, the ways that I want to react, the person that I want to become and the way that I want to be seen and leave that legacy on the world. And I, I write those affirmations down so that they are for today's purposes in my short-term memory and help me to, to stay focused on what I want. Yeah, absolutely. Then after, then after that, um, so about 45 minutes of yoga, and then I usually take the Shavasana period right at the end of yoga and extend it out about a half an hour and do a meditation there. Right, I see. Okay. In terms of that's your daily routine. In terms of your work, yeah. um, how would you say your work is? Are you a mindfulness meditation teacher? Yeah, mindfulness meditation coach, I guess. Um, teacher sounds like I know what I'm talking about. React, you know, in reality, these are all practices. Um, and and uh, so I, I help people to understand their lives from, you know, with the tools of mindfulness. Um, often my clients, my coaching clients, um, are, are working through processes in their lives. Um, ones that, that they want to accomplish or ones that they want to get, you know, work through. And so I help them to understand the, the present moment tool sets that can allow them to process those emotions and process those feelings and get back in the driver's seat of their own lives. And that is primarily what my coaching practice is focused on. Uh, main tools in that are going to be meditation every time, every time. Um, but diet, exercise, lifestyle, it's a holistic process. Holistic problems, holistic process. Yeah, of course. And how many clients or would you say that you have uh, perhaps weekly? I have about six a week. I open up, uh, I open up around... Uh, 10 hours a week in my like calendar ish and I usually have uh, five to six people a week yeah and how long have you been doing this professionally uh two and a half years now what are we at 25 uh so yeah about two and a half years now uh beginning of let's see was it April April of 2019 is when I finished my yoga teacher training in mindfulness, meditation, and Vedic philosophy. Right, I see. And 
You did that abroad, if that's correct. Did you nope. know? No, I did that one in the States. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, I did that one in Columbia, Maryland. Um, amazing, amazing teacher. If you are, I think she's out in Southern California right now, but if you are uh, familiar with Yukini Kali Ohm, uh, then she is awesome and uh, highly recommend you go find her. Oh, awesome. Okay, I'll, I'll do my research. And we're going to talk a bit about living abroad then, Trevor, and expat life. Um, we spoke yeah. briefly before. Um, where did you live before Vietnam? So directly before Vietnam, I had just moved to Shandong, China to be with my uh, ex-wife and my two daughters. Yeah, and can you tell me then, because we have spoken about this, you ended up in Vietnam, but that wasn't planned. Can you tell me the story of how that came about? <laughs> uh, I will try to give you the quick version because it is a fun one uh, full of roller coasters and I am verbose. Um, but the quick version is that I went back to China to stay with my, uh, to be near my, my kids. And I decided to uh, ask my parents to come out and just hang out for spring festival and, and travel China for a couple of months while I was there. And so they came out and uh, my mom is, and I are just on the phone before they arrive and we're talking and she's like, you know, it's really cold right now. I'm not interested in the cold that much. So do you think we could go somewhere warmer just for a bit um, and bring the girls? And I said, okay, sure. Let me look around and Vietnam popped up as this, easy destination. The flights were cheap. Um, it was just, it was easy for everybody. So I, I asked my ex if she wanted to come with us. She's like, no, I got a bunch of stuff to do. And uh, so she ended up staying in China and I took the girls for my two weeks of custody and, and we ended, you know, came down to Vietnam and Da Nang was our first stop. And um, we were here for like three days, I think. And on the third day, we're packing up from the hotel. And my stepfather, Malcolm, is uh, carrying some luggage down these steep steps that we all know and love here in Vietnam. And, uh, and he takes a tumble with one of the bags, goes down four flights of stairs and cracks his head open on the concrete. And, uh, and so that, that changes everything. So we're not headed to the, uh, to the rail, the rail station anymore, obviously. And, um, and so we get him to VinMec and uh, everything turns out to be okay, but he has some stitches that need to stay in for 10 days. So we decide, okay, well, we're in today for 10 days. Well, the very next day, uh, COVID happens, like, uh, according to China and sent everybody a email saying, uh, hey, if you're in the country, uh, you're welcome to stay in the country. If you're out of the country, uh, stay out of the country. Don't come back. Your visas have been revoked and um, please, please stay safe. And so all of a sudden we're like, ah, uh, oh, okay. So thinking that this was going to be a short thing, I was like, well, there's no better place than Da Nang to stay and it's close to China. So, you know, when the borders open up, I can just pop the kids back home, you know? And um, well, you know, come for and stay for COVID became a two and a half year thing now for two years almost. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, my, my ex hasn't seen her kids in person for two years now. Yeah, 
if I may ask you, I know this is personal, but how has that been for both parties? Because how old are your daughters again? They are four and seven now. Seven, yeah. And when they came, they were two and five. Wow. I mean, how has that been for both parties? I mean, I, I can't imagine it's easy in the slightest. It has been one of those things where it sucks, but you can make a good thing out of it. So for Hayen, the girl's mom, you know, she used this time where she didn't have to be a single mom all of a sudden to uh, start three successful businesses. Uh, one was, was going to be her primary, and then it happened to be in the English Training Center. And if you're aware of what China's been doing recently, that is no longer viable business. And um, so she's had to, she has to close at the end of the year. And so she was able to take all that time to take care of her sick parents, um, her mom's surgery, opening and closing a school, and pivoting to open two other retail shops to, uh, you know, to pivot from the from the change in policy. So while she hasn't seen her kids in two years and is absolutely, you know, beside herself whenever she thinks about it, she has been able to make the absolute best of that opportunity. And similarly, me, who was only going to get, you know, that two weeks a month or what, or two weeks a, a year of that, uh, of custody and seeing my kids when I, when I was there, um, turned into, I got to have them and raise them for two years and watch them grow and be a big part of their life. And, and it's been absolutely amazing. And it worked out so well because I was the one with the time to do it. Yeah, of course. No, I love the fact that you've been able to reframe it because it goes to what we were saying earlier about resentment to gratitude. It could have been very easy to go, oh, fuck COVID. I mean, I can't see my family, etc. And, you know, make it into a poor me. However, you know, you've both taken the initiative and said, this is how we can reframe it in a positive manner. So kudos yeah. for both of you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if my intention had been set way in the beginning without knowing as I would like to be happy safe and following my path for my whole family, then I'd be a winner right now here in Da Nang because Vietnam was, was literally the safest, happiest place it could have been in. Yeah, absolutely. In 2020, there was very little COVID. I know it was tricky in May to October here and still is, but 2020 was, it was almost, I don't want to say COVID free, but it was fairly low key. I mean, there was those two months in Da Nang though around august it was it was surreal but they, yeah and that was rainy season so <laughs> <laughs> not going outside anyway but yeah can you no, talk to me, i wasn't can you talk to me a bit more about denang because i've only been to visit but i've interviewed a lot of people from there and i love it and i can't wait to go back how is it then making it your home over the last two years now oh absolutely perfect honestly um like I said, I'm from a small town in Northern California. So when I'm traveling or in, in other places in the world, I'm vastly more comfortable in smaller cities, right? And especially ones that have that neighborhood feel where you think you're a citizen of the neighborhood rather than a citizen of the city. And it, with Da Nang, it only, you know, like 1.2 million, but a whole separate environment on this side of the river in the Soncha and Antang area where all the tourism is and all the foreigners are. Um, it, it is just absolutely great. It's very laid back. Um, 
you can always find vegetarian food. You can always find yoga going on. You can be on the beach. Um, nobody's in that much of a rush. Um, nobody's trying to like get one over on you here. Like, cause everybody knows everybody. You wouldn't get very far. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess coming towards the end of the conversation, Trevor, what sort of messages would you like to share based on your practice? Are there any things that are perhaps, I guess perhaps that you're aware of from your practice, but perhaps aren't widely or commonly known? Is there anything you wish to share related to perhaps meditation or self-development? What would you like to sure. share? I'll, I'll, give you, um, I'll give you three little gems for, for you. Um, the, the first is uh, not mine. I'm stealing it straight from Patanjali's, who wrote the Yoga Sutras. And he talks about um, getting to nirvana. He talks about getting to samadhi, which is that space of equanimity where all things in your mind are possible and judgment doesn't really exist. And he says that it really doesn't matter what you do to get there because all paths will lead inevitably here because this is, in essence, who we are. And so finding yourself isn't a matter of trying this or that. It's just finding that one thing that you love doing and that you, you can do and doing it like with every essence of your being. So if meditation is the way, then great, meditate and, and find yourself that way. And if rock and roll music is the way, lose yourself in the chords, man. And if walking on the beach and enjoying a sunset and realizing the beauty and creation of the world in that epiphany, uh, you know, when you see the sun come up over the horizon, then let that be the way. But whatever it is, just, you know, do that one thing and, and, and do it and practice it. Make it a part of your life so that it, it nourishes you and, and guides you down that path. Uh, the second bit is practice. Don't think that there is some sort of failure or success criteria. It is a, it's a lifestyle and it is not a silver bullet. Um, I remember after my, you know, awakening, I was, I was full of fire. I was, I didn't need to sleep. I had all these energy and all these ideas. And I was just running around hugging everybody and, and apologizing for all the shitty things that I'd ever done. And, and then just moving on with a big smile on my face. And, um, and it was not because I was just full of this one shot thing, but because I was doing it every day. I was meditating for, you know, an hour a day. I was doing random acts of kindness, two hours a day, like on my schedule would be like, make this time available for anybody who needs your help and then just help them go make a new friend. You know, um, I would put, I would put time on my schedule and intentions to just follow random paths until something happened till I gotta let the, the let the world be your thing but whatever it is you do do it okay not plan it not talk about it but but do it so wake up every day and do meditation wake up every day and, and cook breakfast wake up every day and make your bed but set an intention and set a goal that you want and do it and that's the third one. The third, my third recommendation is that you 
decide who you are and what you want. Okay. And if you don't know, which most of us won't, then pick a direction, open that opportunity, open that door, take a few steps inside. And if you don't like it, back up and choose another door. But unless you open, unless you take these opportunities as they come to you, you'll never know where they lead and you'll never know what's the right one. And unless you have an idea of what you want, where you're going, you won't have a rubric to know whether that door is right or not. And so do the one thing, practice every day and pick a direction so that you have a rubric to know where you're going. Even if you're like trying to feel your way out of a totally lightless cave, you know, you can, you can eventually find your way out if you take movement, but you gotta move. You gotta do it every day. That's an excellent message to end on Trevor. Can I just say thank you very much for coming on. I've really enjoyed your insight and the stories and all the very best for your future projects. Well, my, one of my future projects I'm hoping to open uh, this uh, in, in the spring is going to be a ice cream shop here in Da Nang in Antung called The Crafty Cow. So if, uh, if you would like to join me at six in the morning for meditations, you can. Otherwise, join me after 10 o'clock in the, in the morning for delicious ice cold ice cream. Excellent. I'll make sure to include those details in the show notes. Trevor, thank you. All the best. All right, brother. Bye.